truck it i'm dark helmet and it's president's day welcome to the show everybody i got some uh, awesome mail over the weekend it was a busy day at the dooner inbox on saturday the first thing that came through was this right here check it out it's my first warehouse robot these guys i ran into tompkins robotics over at manifest a conference that happened a couple weeks ago they had these robots running around you may have seen them in my warehouse video and then uh, michael cromody over there he sent me one of these over the weekend. I haven't figured out how to like charge it or, or make it move around. I'm still waiting it to get, I don't know, self-aware in the middle of the night. But we have a video of these in action. This is kind of what it does. It's like a pick and pack robot, basically. Roll this tape over here. You see these go on these conveyor belts and uh, either have people drop goods in them right here or they drop down from up above and then they drop them over into these little sorting stations. This thing's really cool. I'm going to have them on soon to talk about what this actually does and how it works and what it's like in operation. But that right there should give you a basic idea. Now, behave. Don't turn like Sydney, the Bingbot, over here. Uh, what else did we get? We got this big hat. You might have noticed why I'm wearing a big, giant, stupid hat on my head. Well, there's a good supply chain story behind this. This is from a company called Noggin Boss. They were on Shark Tank back in, I want to say like June of last year, but they went viral in like November or December. I think it was one of the Buccaneers had one, or maybe it was a Guardian who had one of these hats on. I can't remember exactly, but the tweet went, went viral. Um, they started their company in February 2020, these big hats over here. Um, the problem is they launched it at a golf tournament. They got amazing demand, and then the world went to hell from the supply chain crisis. So they couldn't fulfill any of their POs. They needed some money. They went on Shark Tank. They kind of sold the company for a song. They were seeking $50,000 for 25%. They ended up going with Damon John for 50,000 for 30%. Mark Cuban said he would license some Cavs logos, natural fit, maybe some want the truck logos, get them on people's heads. Landing costs, by the way, on these 20 bucks. But if you go on the website, I know they're merging because I think it was around like $85 for one of these. It was a Christmas gift. Supply chain issues arrived over the weekend, so that took a little while to go too. But check out Noggin Boss. They got a really cool story. They're building a really cool company, and who doesn't want a big, giant, stupid hat? Another cool thing, just going to give a shout-out to Alan Adler. Alan, thank you so much for uh, this right here. Space Ghost artist Scott Rosema was over at a mall around Christmas time. Uh, Space Ghost is uh, a big inspiration to me, and this show is dumb as that sounds like my hat but huge fan of space Coast. so thank you so much alan and last order business here was just the community question of the week take a look at this truck right here i asked all of you out there how did this end up like this how jeff dixon said you heard of the k turn well this is the classic v turn i give him a solid eight out of ten as the vertical was just a bit off but it was good Ben to Sergey, he says, the broker forgot to put, do not attempt wheelies on the rate confirmation. Classic mistake. Naman Peradov said, on the way to King Kai's planet. Renee Matthews, um. Anthony Miller, zoom, zoom, zoom. Jared Gallus says, timing is everything. Stacey Gibson says, I'm going to do some sweet wheelies in that. Econ Coast says, sheesh, man. The only thing I can think of is that it was towed without emptying cargo, and the cargo slid to the back, and the towing fractured to the point the truck just came off the rig. Other than that, I got nothing. And uh, Architus DX says, wow, box truck pushed the NOS without the wheelie bar. Guess this is as good as mine. I really don't know how that got there. But on the show today, we're talking about the humble role that Pallet plays in the supply chain. We have Pallet traders Kevin Cull, another gentleman I ran into over at Manifest. He's talking about the revolutionary marketplace that they have built 
to buy and sell pallets and what that says about the freight economy, the demand there. We're going to go even deeper in the numbers on freight with uh, FreightWaves Sonar Data. Donnie Gilbert from FreightWaves Now, our market expert, he's going to join us up here. Our legacy supply, supply chains, our legacy logistics keeping supply chains at a standstill. CloudSort founder and CEO is here to talk about how they're using tech to rebuild a more efficient middle mile. Plus, truckload of Cadbury eggs stolen, maintenance solutions for an EV truck, getting out your frustration, and more. So let's tip the band, and then we're ready to get this show started. Many of you think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in the past decade, they've evolved to become a global transportation management leader, generating nearly $3 billion in annual revenue by providing supply chain solutions for Fortune 500 companies, shipping between Asia, Europe, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating customized solutions to fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from AIT's logistics pros over at AIT worldwide.com. But right now, I'd like to welcome my first guest on the show. It's Derek Zopa, founder and CEO at CloudSort. Derek, did I get the last name okay? You said it perfectly. It's good to be here. Thank you. I, I wanted to because you and I, we both share FedEx blood. I was looking into your background. You have an amazing one. You worked with FedEx for years. You were with Amazon for years, and you were also a Marine. Before we get into all this stuff, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from. Sure. So, uh, born and raised Middle America, Columbia, Missouri, um, moved around quite a bit. So currently in Washington state, I think I lost count at some point, but I think this is the 14th state I've lived in. So um, all those great experiences with Amazon and FedEx and the Marine Corps uh, allowed me to see many places in the world, but also <laughs> live uh, live quite a few different places in the United States. So um, best, best state yeah. out of the 14, you have a favorite? No, I don't. Uh, I think... Um, I try to make the best of everywhere that I've lived. I certainly enjoy Washington state, the outdoors, like I'm sure you've, you know, the winters get a little bit long with the rain and everything, but on balance, it's really a great place to be. Um, I don't know. Don't, don't ask me what my least favorite place was, please. <laughs> I don't need to get uh, hate mail from, uh, from certain States. I'll spare you that. How about something positive? What, what is your company? What's CloudSort? Yeah, so we're a logistics company. We really set out to redefine how packaged goods move along the supply chain. So new model uh, and technology for this middle mile. We want to drive efficiency, flexibility, and scalability, and really think about how do we make this work for everybody. Instead of having really siloed um, decision-making or operations, we really wanted to have a – think about it more like a community to uh, make this middle mile function better. You know, interesting. So how you're the founder. How did you get the idea? Do you remember the day you were sitting around? You're like, man, there's got to be a better way. I, I don't know if there was like a, a strong, like one epiphany that happened. This evolved over time. I remember unloading trailers as a teenager thinking like, why, like, why are we unloading these packages to reload them again? It seemed like very redundant. There was, uh, yes, yeah, so I think this whole idea that there was, opportunity in the middle mile evolved from a lot of different things from those early, you know, early days in my career to seeing uh, how some companies were really inventing on behalf of customers where others were really at a standstill and, and not, not thinking in those terms. There's, um, you know, just like changes in the world. Computing power has evolved so much uh, in the decades since these big hub and spokes systems were designed 
you think about really small, modular, lightweight operations, micro fulfillment, um, the impact that's having on on supply chain. Think about uh, Starlink uh, and the effect that that kind of thinking has had on how communication works. There's um, so it's not only uh, changes within the, within the logistics space, but also just thinking holistically. Like the world's evolved a lot, especially from a computing standpoint. And how do we, uh, you know, you start to ask questions like, is there a way we can use this, all these advancements in technology, and apply them to this middle mile space? We believe the answer is yes. So we set out to uh, kind of with that broad thought really dig into it and see if we could find ways to solve problems. You know, one of the problems you highlighted in your company letter recently, you said, even a small decline in utilization can have disastrous effects on the company's finances. For example, a carrier that spends $5 billion on transportation and sees its trailer utilization rates dip from 55% to 50% will face transportation cost increases of half a billion dollars. Talk a little bit about this inefficiency in the middle mile, because, you know, I, I worked freight, too, and I'm of the opinion that that is where most of the inefficiency mistakes can happen is at that point. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of simple back of the envelope math. It's but and it's not only economic, you know, there's dollars to it. And there's also a, an environmental impact as we can. And a lot of people are thinking about this and trying to tackle it. But certainly if we can be smarter about how we're transporting goods uh, across these long zones, it, it certainly can it can lower cost. And if we do it in a smart way and there's trust and the incentives are aligned, like this is extremely powerful. It, it, it reduces these instances of running, you know, partial loads or we set up capacity and then the, the volume doesn't materialize. So uh, the economics don't work. We, we think a lot about incentives, and I think that's – if we can get the incentives right, we can keep these trucks fuller, keep – and not only trucks, but also operations fuller, uh, warehousing. All this lends to a better design, a better system. What are ship, shipper expectations now out of the middle mile? Well, the shippers – I think we – you know, it's commonly stated, you know, we you know, shippers are – meeting their consumer demands and those consumers are expecting kind of fast delivery, uh, free or nearly free, even like curated delivery experiences. Shippers are, we see that shippers have become more sophisticated. They want to participate in the delivery ecosystem to a, to a greater extent. Some already are very, have a very clear uh, thought on how they want to do that then maybe maybe they don't have the technology to enact what they want to do. Some are think it's interesting. We'd like to participate more, but we don't know how. We don't um we don't have the technology to do it. We think it it appears to be super expensive. Um you, you know, you think about someone says sortation uh and the mind goes to, oh, I need, you know, millions of dollars of automated sortation equipment, really heavy industry. We kind of take the opposite view. It can be very simple, lightweight, elegant, uh, quick to deploy. So we can enable shippers to participate in a way that works for them. If Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. Well, how does it differ from the carrier expectations? Because that's always traditionally been 
One of the problems with stakeholders in supply chain is they're both kind of pulling in slightly different directions because they have different goals, what they want to attain out of moving freight. Yes, I think how the best way to answer this is, I think, you know, part of the part of the tension here has to do with how capital intensive the middle mile can be. So if so, that creates this um, a little bit of an adversarial relationship or it can be an adversarial relationship between the carrier providing the capacity and the shipper that needs the capacity. So it ends up being a lot of discussion about volume, um, tiered volume pricing. It's kind of like an industry standard. But what if you could eliminate a lot of that heavy infrastructure cost? You can engage that shipper to participate at a higher level, um, design the contracts in a way that's like healthy, the incentives are aligned. And you could say, well, you do that with tiered pricing. There, there may be some other ways to do it, like with subscription-based pricing and things like that. So we're starting to experiment with that a bit and with with really a high level of success because it maybe that's conversation for another time, but it, it can help make that ecosystem really, really healthy. Um, so I think it it really boils down to you have to have the sh- a shipper willing to um, – the best outcomes are ones where the shipper is willing to make a little bit of investment, but it really generates like outside re- outsized reward as those packages are moving through the system. Maybe a good analogy is uh, think about how compound interest works. If you can invest early on, um, the effect of that investment or the payout from that investment, it just compounds over time. We, we view middle mile very much the same way. If you can make smart decisions coming off of the dock, um, you enjoy the value of those smart decisions throughout the in- entire uh, delivery process. How are and, users? And if I could, oh, yeah, I was go ahead, how, I was just wondering how users, like, with that in mind, how do users interface with CloudStore? What are they doing on there? Okay, so we it, we're kind of a la carte. So it can be as simple it can be as simple as I'm a shipper. I just want to have better quality on my outbound dock. So we can provide scan technology. We know what your load plan is. You can run scanners inside of trailers just to validate, hey, I'm sending packages to the correct destinations. And so it can be from an operator standpoint, it can be a, you know, just a handheld device that, that that operator is using to validate that packages are going to the correct locations. And this is potentially more important as uh, some shippers go to diversify their carrier base if everything was going to one carrier and you send it to the wrong carrier location, it's likely to be recovered. If it's going to different carriers, um, there's may perhaps more risk. So this ability to really ensure that packages are going to the right locations, um, we believe is, is important. And it's a very lightweight, like simple thing to do. So that's there's there's that. You could go all the way to the other extreme where CloudSword is the kind of the dock operating system for for an organization. So it's deployed across multiple docks. Uh, The system thinks globally. So activities at one location are are understood. And so you can can use that information to manipulate the the outputs from, let's say, point A going to point B. Uh, So... With that, you have like the, the CloudStore console where you can manage the entire system or just one building. So I guess the punchline is there's two interfaces. One is uh, a handheld device, looks very similar to a phone. 
Um, and there's also just the the web application or the console that you can log on to to um, set up your, uh, you know, configure your system or your site um, and manage, really like manage the doc, manage uh, your employees' performance, manage uh, the quality. Um, yeah. Sim- what you- simple as that. <laughs> One thing that I was reading in your letter is you put some heat on the hub and spoke system. And I was curious, is that outdated and what's a better way? Well, it's certainly, we believe it's out. Well, it certainly has its role to play. I I don't know that the hub and spoke system ever goes away. I don't mean to, I certainly don't mean to imply that it it doesn't have any role to play, but the, that system was really designed in the fifties. It's very simple. Uh, It's easy to execute. You can bring goods in and like there's a there's a tremendous amount of value there. But what it what it what it doesn't fully capture is like all these advancements in technology that I that I spoke about um, earlier in our discussion. There's uh, the power of cloud computing, the power of AI, the power of um, really like distributed networks and being able to route things very directly like our, our first action with CloudSort isn't necessarily, we want to simplify things, not make them more complex. So if we can take goods from a point of origin and route them directly to a final mile carrier or goods are moving between inventories, moving from one location to a, to a second location, if we can do that in a direct fashion, we've eliminated steps. So we've eliminated cost and we've eliminated impact on the environment like all this is goodness and it can be very simple we don't need a very we don't need an overly complex system at that point of origin it can be simple tools a few scanners is is really all you would need in in some some operations route direct and and that's what i'm talking about like routing direct having a system that thinks globally you can you can design a better way of doing things in the hub and spoke system for some goods, again, the hub and spoke is always going to have a role to play. You're always going to need to aggregate at some point, but you can you can do that work at the point of greatest value creation, and that's what that's what we want to enable. Makes a lot of sense. Now you mentioned AI a few times. Now, not even in the context of cloud storage, just in the context of supply chain. Within the next five years, where do you think AI will have the most impact in supply chain? I mean, for me, it's, I don't know where it has the most impact. I can certainly see how it helps in the middle mile. It's, that's, that's my expertise. So you're going to have to, uh, I apologize, or maybe I don't apologize for the bias for, for that. It's just goods are moving over such long distances in some cases. So the, the ability of this, the AI technology to really, uh, you think about like a mesh network and goods like routing uh, through this network, like, what what are the best decisions we can make when we're touching those packages? The AI can inform that. And because the AI is able to run all these very complex calculations and, and understand, you know, what's the best decision we can make every time we touch a package. So I, I like, there's tremendous amount of opportunity there. So I, I my answer is a bit biased, but sure. it's just beginning to be, uh, understood and explored, and and I, I'm very optimistic that that this is going to be really revolutionary. Well, very cool, Derek. People who want to learn more about CloudSort, where should I send them to? 
Collapsor.com is a great, great, um, I think we have some good resources on there. We're continuing to, our, our website isn't like a, a one and done. We continue to add new content. We're going to continue to do a refresh uh, what's on there. Um, you can always reach out to me, uh, but we're really happy to educate the community on middle mile the benefits of it. There's, I, I think there's a, there's a lot we can do. So happy, happy to keep get it, people educated. Well, very cool. Derek, thank you so much for your time today and for teaching us a little bit about the middle mile and CloudSort. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Take care. All right, everybody. Meanwhile, let's see what's going on over here. You ever want a golden retriever? <laughs> if you did, you're going to relate to this video right now. I have labs, but I grew up with um, Cosmo was a golden retriever I grew up with. And my parents have one right now named Maybelline. I'll tell you something about those dogs. They dig massive, massive holes. And I think they're going to go over this hole, and you're going to see how deep the bunker is that this uh, good boy Doug, look at that thing. You put Curly's gold in there. Look at that thing. That's like your, that's your doomsday bunker. Did he even get mad? I don't know. They could take out some pipes. He found, looks like he found some sort of hole or something under there. I don't know. Good on that dog. Sorry about that one, owner. Anyways, the humble pallet. The humble pallet moves the world of freight. It's within almost every truck out there. It probably, my hat was probably even attached to a pallet. How many, hats, how many hats do you think you can put on a pallet? I gotta ask Kevin Cole. He's the SVP of Sales and Operations over at Pallet Trader. Kevin, thanks for joining me. Hey, how we doing? What's happening, man? You look, uh, you look the same virtually as you did in person over in Vegas. <laughs> well, that's good. You know, I typically like to go with the same sort of outfit for a lot of these. We're actually here at Rila, and so uh, I tried to give you the really pretty yeah, Gaylord Palms background, but just the lighting didn't work for you, so, so now you just get the balcony. That's all but, right. Uh, you know, we like to do this, right? It's, it's, it's brand awareness. You know, this is how most people recognize from a LinkedIn perspective, so we, we like to go with that. That's the thing. I get like when I go out, I got to stay with like the, the look. I got to wear a giant hat. Now I'm now yeah. I'm cursed to a life of a giant baseball. Yeah, you're, you're committed. That's my thing. You, you used to play baseball, by the way. What position did you play? Uh, I, I varied third base, left field, closed a little bit. Ooh, third base. That's kind of a humble position. How'd you get into the humble yeah. pallet? How did you get into pallets? <laughs> uh, well, I, I certainly wasn't looking, uh, <laughs> you know, for me, it, it's just been a career a journey through the transportation supply chain space. And it's, you know, it started at C.H. Robinson doing a variety of different roles and that progressed and had an opportunity to go to XPO um, when it was when it was whole before it was XPO, GXO and RXO. We were all one at this time. Um, and so I had some just fantastic opportunities there, ran some P&Ls, uh, you know, predominantly there on the brokerage side. And then I uh, stepped into corporate sales for the last few years. And then uh, Pallet Trader came knocking. And uh, like I said, I, I certainly wasn't looking. But once I sat and took a look at the technology and some of the industry research behind it, um, it, it, was a, it, it was a tough decision. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's been a good one so far. Pallet Trader has been a, a fascinating, fast ride. So I wasn't like I wasn't sold on pallets. I remember, and I told you this at Manifest. I had to do an interview on a show. And it was like a forty-five minute long interview with Chep um, about pallets, and I was like, "How, how are we going to fill forty-five minutes talking about pallets? Um, we could have gone for like three hours talking about pallets." There's, there's, it's one of those things. It's one of the most invisible parts of supply chain. You don't think about it until you don't have compliant pallets, or you only have broken pallets, or you have no pallets, or there's a shortage going on. Absolutely. It, you know, and, and for me, you know, selfishly, coming out of transportation and logistics for the last 10 plus years, you know, when I stepped into pallets, it's essentially, 
it's the same problems, right? And so, so for me, it was uh, the learning curve was was a lot shorter. Now, now, granted, that you're right. We could talk about pallets for for hours, but you know, the the one thing that I've learned from all of my connections with customers is everyone has a problem with pallets. They, they either have too many, not enough, the wrong grade, they don't know how to dispose them, um, and, and so it's good, right? Disposal is interesting. You know, I was reading a, a fact that about 70% of pallets are recycled and many of the pellet wood is used for fuel. I didn't know that, that it was used for fuel. That's interesting. Yeah, no, it is. Well, why, so why a pallet market, right? All these warehouses, we have pallets. You see pallets behind restaurants. You see pallets at shipping docks. Why a marketplace for it? Well, I, I think before I tell you about that, the why the pallet, I, I think the backstory I think helps with a little bit more. So, so Pallet Trader was was built by uh, Betaway Supply Chain Services, and they've been in the game. The, they've been tied to supply chain through a variety of of ways for about the last sixty years. They started manufacturing, got into bottling and distribution, asset trucking, uh, warehousing, national three PL, and then they've also had a like a, a managed services like Pallet Division. Uh, for about the last 30 plus years. And so John Vaccaro, who's, who's the founder of Pallet Trader, um, you know, basically looked at all of this supply chain and thought, I can do everything in my business online. You know, we've got TMS logins coming out of our ears. You know, there, there's a portal for everything. Uh, there's a load board. You can do everything, but there's nothing for his, for his pallet business. And so about three years ago or so, two and a half years ago, they set out to to build a marketplace. You know, he looked at it and said, you know, there, there's essentially been no invention in, in, this, in, in the pallet space, right, especially from a tech perspective. And if you look at all the procurement tools and, and order management systems and WMSs and all these other things that are touching all facets of your business, why not have something for pallets? And, you know, our, our, our founder, John, just, he, you know, he said he operates on fear a lot. He's like, well, someone's going to disrupt my business. Why not? Why not be the creator? And, you know, he had thought to himself, yeah. I, I could go out and I could just build the largest pallet brokerage in the country um, or I could build a marketplace, you know, for free markets to prevail for, for the, the big players, the small players, for the mom and pops, for the independents, you know, for, for CPGs, for everybody to come together in one marketplace. Interesting. You don't, it, you think about freight and how decentralized it is. And in the context of what you just said, that there was no centralized place to get pallets. That means pallets were just as decentralized as, the freight market, if not worse, because at least in the freight market, there's a ton of different brokers and stuff you could contact that could connect you with these different types of services. Now, how does the marketplace work? Yeah, so and that was a good touch point. On, uh, so I'll, I'll add to that, too. And so if because I know a lot of the, uh, the listeners tuning in are familiar with the transportation logistics space. So I'll relate as much of it back to, to that as I can. Like if, if you think about a world where there's there's thousands of shippers. Um, or, or pallet buyers, manufacturers, CPG, you know, pick a vertical. And then you've got thousands of suppliers, you know, who are basically stocking shelves, right? So supplying pallets, you know, pallet trader is the marketplace where everyone connects, right? And so if you think about a large CPG who has, you know, 50, 70, 150 locations across the country, you know, more than likely they've got some vendor relationships across the country, but they're managing them all completely separate. Uh, Pallet Trader offers you the solution now where you can actually log into a portal, manage all of your vendors. So it's very similar to what you would have in a TMS, right? It's uh, if you want my freight, log into my board uh, and get it, right? So it's, it's got these elements of, of, of like the true managed trans plays, 
the TMS lights that are out there, you know, it, it was originally launched as a SaaS model, and, and now we've got some other enhancements coming soon uh, that, that we can talk about a little bit here as we get going. But, but yeah, it's, it's a marketplace that essentially serves large and small. So just, just the access and the reach that it gives people, whether you're large or small, or whether you're a, a supplier a, or a buyer, uh, you know, it, this now gives you access to, to, to people, to companies, to resources that, that you never had uh, without hiring a bunch of category buyers or without hiring a bunch of additional sales staff, you know, on the supplier side to go out and try to sell to customers. You have one portal now that gets you access to all. You know, I heard the founder's story. Your founder was at F3 and I was listening to uh, his interview from there and he talked about how... Um, they provided, uh, they served the beverage market, right? They had a lot of beverage companies and they just always, always needed pallets. So they became basically a national provider for these beverage companies. And that's sort of where, so do you guys also put your pallets on the, the marketplace? Is it, is it other people's pallets plus your pallets? How does that all like sort of come together? Where does the, the goods come from? Yeah, so, we're a, so we own none of the pallets, right? T today, it's, we are just the marketplace for buyers and sellers to transact. And so the, the pallets come from a variety of places, right? There's a lot of pallet and, and there's a lot of different names that, that, that they go by, right? It's either pallet depots, manufacturers, recyclers, suppliers. So there's a few different names out there, right? And so a lot of times they're the ones putting the inventory on the, on the marketplace, right? But then you also have a lot of uh, customers who, you know, they receive a lot of product inbound. And then they'll reuse some of those pallets in their outbound network uh, if they work, right? If they're the right grade, tight, fit, then they'll use those. They'll repurpose them or kind of downstream them. But then there's a lot of pallets that just don't fit. And so it's not uncommon if to, to log into the portal and see, you know, a, a massive retailer uh, that, that's listed pallets for sale. And so you've got large Fortune 500 companies who could also use this portal to sell the inventory out the back door that they don't want. You know, and you'd be amazed at how many Fortune 500 companies uh, are actually paying people to come take their pallets. When in reality, now with Pallet Trader, you can now turn this into a revenue stream, right? Yeah. And so it's 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 super fascinating how it works. But I'll, I'll try to stay on task here for you. Well, what's like the going rate of a pallet right now? Because you guys have a marketplace, you're trying to get some data, you're starting to see how these things are priced out, and I imagine demand has to drive that somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, and I know this ties in heavily to transportation too, right? And it's it's, it's pallets typically follow transportation with a, sure. a little bit of a short lag, right? But you know, nowadays, from a use perspective, it varies. You know, and, and I'll give you kind of the caveat: it's just like transportation. It depends on the volume, the the quality of 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 pallet, the specs, right? All of those things are true factors. The type of wood. Um, the regularity, right? Everything that like a, a typical transportation person would be asking about, you know, volumes, receivers, hours of service, like all those are very common factors in our space too. But, you know, from a used perspective, you'll typically see it now, eight to 14 bucks, you know, 16 to 20, 22 for new, you know, if you consider all of those other factors, um, you know, when things were really going off the rails and crazy, you know, several months ago, a year and a half, two years ago, like pallets got up, the, the used market got up to over $20. And uh, from a new perspective, I mean, depending on what parts of the country you're in, you might have had to buy a pallet for 40 or $50. And so, you know, pallets, you know, I, I love the, the lead in the, the humble pallet, because mm. for most people, this was a buried line item or a cost that no one even knew about. And then quickly, you know, this has jumped into the executives, you know, line of sight now just because the, the cost of pallets have, have skyrocketed over the years. And 
over the last couple of years. And now they've got attention. Interesting. Interesting. So what is this? You know, you said a good thing there. I mean, like you're not moving the truck if you don't have the pallets. Do you see your volume grow or is it hard to really, is it hard to tell demand versus the growth of just pallet trader in general? Yeah, it is. Now, now we're having really good conversations with customers who are telling us. And, and the beautiful thing is the, there, there's not a ton of, of data in the pallet space now that's publicized, right? It's not, you know, we're not in sonar yet, right? It's We, we don't have a lot of this uh, data to go off of, but it's really simple because it's like we're following the transportation space. And so depending on which vertical you're talking to or even certain customers in different verticals, you know, whether you're getting publicly criticized for bloated inventory or you're not as, as heightened in the in the public eye and you can sit on some inventory a little bit longer. So it, we're having the very same conversations that a lot of your transportation and logistics folks uh, are having. So thankfully, we can, we can ride off the back of a lot of the transportation indices right now, um, you know, until we start to develop our own and publish those. Interesting. So you mentioned you're working on some some new um elements and aspects to pallet trader what do you guys have cooking yeah you know if i could have showed you that the the year five roadmap um the five-year roadmap and then what it looks like today it, it's quite fascinating um you know we've had global interest already you know from the middle east south africa uh multiple european players uh mexico and canada obviously and and, and so you know we're, we're in the process of, of going through and vetting mexico and canada will will be will be first and will be quick uh soon coming um, we've got different plugins. You know, this thing was originally launched as a SaaS model, right? It's it's so the customer could go in and it has a very good like e-com type feel, very light, very easy to use. Um, you know, it doesn't have that AS four hundred feel that, that some of the TMSs do. You know, and uh, <laughs> so 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 we launched it that way. But you know, the conversations, especially not not just the larger customer, but there's a lot of customers that say, "Hey, we absolutely love this thing, but we don't want to touch it. Will you do it for us?" And so, yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, uh, Pallet Trader Managed Services was born, you know, very quickly. And so uh, I won't get into that just a whole lot yet because we're working on the, the branding and, and we'll have a nice little launch for that here in, in, in the coming uh, weeks. Um, so more coming soon there. But, the, you know, the opportunities are endless. We've had people approach us about, you know, uh, you know, listen, forklifts and nailers and anything that has to do to service the pallet industry, because we're going out and, you know, we're, we're spending the money on the marketing and the advertising and 30 bill, you know, we've got over 30 billboards going up. And so, you know, we're going to put out a social media challenge here soon that, uh, um, you know, it's going to have people post where, you know, obviously we don't want people taking pictures while they're driving, uh, but, but just to post where you sell the billboard, right? And so we've got tons of billboards going up. We're doing a ton of advertising in, in, in every different channel you can think of. Obviously, we have it with freight waves. Um, but yeah, so, so we're doing a lot of the marketing that a lot of our suppliers don't have to do. Very right? cool. So it's, it's bringing visibility to their business. Well, Kevin, what is the most interesting thing, before I let you go, what's the most interesting thing you've learned about a pallet? About a pallet? Uh, the humble nature of it, honestly, is, is just how critical they are to a supply chain. If you think about manufacturing, typically manufacturers straight to a pallet, right? And so whether you're talking, you know, 50,000, 100,000, million dollars an hour downtime, you know, the, the cost of a pallet, you know, is nominal, right? So it's uh, it, it's been fascinating to learn just how critical pallets are, you know, to the industry, to transportation supply chain as a whole. Well, very cool, Kevin. I'll let you get back to your conference over there. Go have a good time. Go uh, enlighten some people on what Pallet Trader is. Appreciate it. 
Absolutely. By the way, oh, before I let you go, how many of these do you think yeah. fit on one pallet? Ah, that's a good question. It depends on if uh, if an LTO carrier would let us stack how high they'd let us stack it. <laughs> okay, then. All right, Kevin. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, I'm gonna appreciate say, it. Take it easy. Donnie. Donnie Gilbert. Come on over here. We are sitting down. Got to do a little shout out to AIT. China, India, Vietnam, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, the Netherlands, the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico. AIT Worldwide Logistics has 2,000 supply chain experts in these countries and, of course, in offices across the United States, Donnie. And in 2023, they're adding more locations around the world as the organization continues to expand and make it easier than ever for customers to ship between Asia, Europe, and North America. If you're ready to create a supply chain program as unique as your business, as unique as a noggin boss. Go to AITWorldwide.com. And that was market expert, Donnie Gilbert. What's up, Donnie? I thought your head just grew a little bit. But. Uh, you know, they, fortunately, they put a piece of foam in here to help keep it here until the head can grow in, into size. All right, just keeping it all protected. You got a pretty big melon yourself. Yeah, I appreciate that. You appreciate <laughs> a hat this size with some, uh, with some foam. And how, hey, how is, um, how is liquor, that liquor thing going on? I know we touched on it, but then Rachel put out that article about beer demand, right? And you had given me some shocking numbers for January. What's going on in that space? Yeah, well, there's a couple things going on. Uh, you know, a lot of people are, are going out for that dry January. Yeah. It's catching up. It's p- pulling up some steam. I and asked her about that, and I was like, look, there's a lot of people who are, they're not just doing, like, uh, the January, like, sobriety thing has been a thing. But there's a lot of, there's a big movement right now of just zero alcohol beyond that, beyond just, like, a 30-day period. Yeah. And there was that. Plus, if you go back and look at a January uh, there were nine Saturday and Sundays, or um, Fridays and Saturdays this in January 2022. Okay. There were only eight in 2023, mm-hmm. and some and an extra Friday or Saturday in a month is is a lot of sales in one day. Think about how much beer sold on a Friday night. Sure. Or uh, beer on a Saturday night. So when you have one extra day like that in in one month, which was 2022, it's going to affect it a little bit. Yeah. A, a few percentage points. So that's that was that was one issue. And but yeah, we we saw down about 10 15 percent. Uh, you take a few of that out, maybe uh, adjust it to about 7%, but it's it's catching some steam. Uh, but we're back on track for February, and we're going to keep it rolling. Uh, Pretty recession-proof, right? I mean, people are going to booze, they're going to booze. No. No? Uh, you're correct on if they're going to booze, they're going to booze, but instead of buying Grey Goose, they might yeah. start buying Smirnoff. So if Kamchata? You're making, yeah, what is the worst? Like, what's the most bottom? I remember in college we would get, I think it was like Gordon's, and Kamchata, yeah. and our, like that, it would make you feel like you're throwing up glass the next morning. Yeah, there's a lot of those, and I don't even <laughs> want to even discuss them. They're okay. they're just nasty. But hey, it, it gets the job done. It sure does. It sure does, and it can also clean your faucet. Yeah, it can clean everything. It'll put hair on your chest and take hair off your chest. Do, do we need <laughs> to clean the freight pipes? Let's see what's going on. What is going on in the Freightways National Truckload Index seven day average for the United well, States of America? Rates overall, we got we got what seems to be good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, we'll start off with. Uh, a little bit of the bad. Okay. So uh, we, I've got the NTI brought up here. And yeah, as you can see, since 2023, that blue, that blue line is a seven-day rolling average. That yeah. red line is the actual daily. And, of course, the reason we do the seven-day rolling average, because it's, for obvious reasons, it's a lot more easier to understand. But I like looking at the daily just to see what it is. But you now start seeing those red lines. The peaks are at the troughs from 30 days before. It's slowly going down. And that's what's happening with spot rates. There's not a lot in the market to really tighten up uh, demand 
on the spot market. Everybody in the contract market is accepting everything they can. That big hill that we're seeing there, right there too, that is from like a little after December 14th to just around January 14th, that is drivers taking off though, right? That's not like a ton of volume. That's people taking the holidays off because rates were bad, isn't it? It's, it's, it's two reasons. Number one, yes, taking off, which tightens the supply of trucks. Yeah. But also they know when they can, they can charge their, their highest rates during sure. the, the week of Christmas. And that's what that is. I mean, rejection rates uh, went up, but they only went up to like 10%. It was, or, you know, it was, it, not even 10%, it was like 7%. It was a very flat peak season, but that's the rates going up just a little bit. Uh, you look at it there, it was about 15 or 18 cents a mile, and then they started to go right back down. Oh, yeah, we should say that for the audio listeners. It's 241 for the Freightways National Truckload Index seven-day average, but the daily today is 249. So there's a little variation between those, but they tend to reduce back down to the mean, and these spikes drop very quickly. Yep, and so when you that average right now is the 241, the seven-day rolling average. Uh, and it's really low. Yeah, the ugly. Now, this is before fuel. There's, well, no, this is uh, the NTI includes fuel. I'll look at it here in a second without fuel. But, and that's the worst part, that's also getting ugly. Yeah. Over the next 28 days, we expect this to drop maybe 15 cents a mile as well. That's the ugly. It's going to get worse. <clears throat> Let's go to the next chart here right quick. Sure. Uh, now, I have the blue line is the NTI. Yeah. L, it's taking fuel out of the equation as if it were, and I'm comparing it to the green line uh, is dry van contracted initial, which is about a four a 14 day lag on us. And that's 257. Yep, and the red line is the reefer initial contracted rates, and all those right there, yeah, they do not include fuel. So when you compare that to a dollar seventy mile on the spot or on the spot market minus fuel. Contract rates, this is the good, are much higher right now. But, Dooner, we expected these to start dropping down a lot more than what they have. If you look at those lines, they're not going down very aggressively. Uh, the contract market is held kind of steady right now, and that's good. Now, what are shippers going to do? Are they going to jump to the spot market and just kind of knife their carriers? Because this could turn back around in 8, 9, 10 months, 12 months. Yeah. And then they're going to go back, hey, guys, my carriers. And they're going to be like, no, you, you left me. Yeah. So shippers are being, I think, a lot more cautious. They're not just jumping to the discount. I think they're kind of taking care of their carriers and working things out right now. So the biggest advice I can give any carrier is reduce your exposure to the spot market because it is going down, and it could be below a dollar sixty down to a dollar fifty-five here in the next month. And then if that's what you're running your business on, if that's your business model, you might be out of business here soon. It's, well, I mean, look, the past year has just been brutal, and this year has been even worse as we see all the air leak out of the tires here. And there's a reason for that. There's a thing called the waterfall theory of freight that yep. we all prescribe to over here. Uh, our own founder and CEO, Craig Fuller, talks about it quite frequently. But basically, what the waterfall theory of freight is talking about is that volume drives all of this, right? Yeah, so let's go to the next chart here right quick, Dooner, and talk about what you're talking about a little bit. So we... we in the blue line is our OTVI. That's all volumes, reefer, flatbed, drive-in. And we index this at 10,000 in March of 2018. We want this number to be above 10,000. 10,000, yeah. thumbs up. Below 10,000, thumbs down. Well, we're right above 10,000. But if you look at our volumes over the last 30 days, they've been pretty steady too and just right above 10,000. So thumbs up, yeah, we're barely thumbs up. But, hey, we're in that above 10,000. 
we haven't seen volumes going down, but the red line is rejection rates. And that's 3.39. Is that like the lowest it's been in sonar? Okay, so almost. Yeah. There's there, there's one mulligan in there, and if okay. you, I call it an extraordinary event. Yeah, and you should throw it out, and that would make this a historic low. <clears throat> Just so people understand too, what this, what this means, right? Is these are contracted loads. So if this is at three point three nine percent, that means that. The carriers are taking about 96% of the loads Just that are digitally contracted loads that are digitally tendered to them. Just yes. so you understand. And the one time that it was below that is when we shut the economy down right before COVID. <sighs> Remember the big spike yeah. for toilet paper and hand sanitizer? And then we shut it down. Yes. Rejection rates dropped down to like 2.8 or 2.7%. They were brutal. And that was an extraordinary event that'll never happen again. I don't believe that we'll ever shut it down like we did before. We're close. We're less than a point away. Well, no, but I'm saying shut our economy down. Oh. Like, like, like everybody go You'd home and not, not go to work. You'd hope not. Yeah, that's why it dropped down that low. So that'll never happen again. So you take that scenario out now, this, we're, we're hit store close. We're like repeating the 80s, though. Yep, right we now. are. So I think it could happen again, like uh, the 1980s. We're good. We, everybody's been accepted right now. All these trucking companies are accepting all the tender loads. And there's two reasons behind that, Dooner. One is because of the supply and demand, but the other is, is because diesel fuel is so high. Like it was ridiculously, and I don't have diesel fuel in here, but diesel was ridiculously high yeah. and it's dropped down to being just ridiculous, you know, super high. <clears throat> and they get that fuel surcharge, which is based on that high diesel price. Mm -hmm. So they're getting 70 cents a mile for fuel right now. So they're, they're, they don't wanna go to the spot market. They wanna go straight and use their contracts and get the better paying rates. You'll see in some of these reports that they've been, fourth quarter reports these trucking companies are putting out, yeah. they're making money. They're, they're, they're making profits on their fuel surcharge. So that's, one, that's another reason that's helping. Them. Here's the average, too. That, that means that half of you are seeing lower than these. I've seen so many on social media posted these terrible rates that people are getting out there with fuel for like $1.79, especially out of California. California, yeah. Texas, what a brutal lane right now. I, I've seen $1.25 on that lane. Well, you say that I say I see it as two ten, but that's because it's spot rate, and that's yeah. already including fuel. So you yeah. take out seventy cents out of two ten, and you're at dollar thirty. You can't make money on that. What uh, about a, well, we were talking about rejects. What about flatbed? Are any modes doing okay? Uh, let's 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 go to the next chart here uh, and see this. So I've got this broken down in blue is flatbed. Now flatbed climbed back up here the past few days, but it's it's, it's starting to trend back down. It's the best performing at eleven point five three percent. Yeah. But you know, last year during COVID and all this, it was around between forty and fifty percent. Mm. And this is one. Of the, this is the lowest that flatbed's ever been as well. Uh, so you see, they're all suffering. All three on the yellow line. Uh, that's reefer. It's trending down. Uh, it's at four point two percent. Drive in the red line, it's at 3.26%. Reefer, okay, we, we, we compare everything right now to 2019. Yeah. Well, Reefer didn't get below 9% ever during 2019. Mm. And now we're at the 4.2. But again, we're looking at the difference of contracted rates and the spot market. Well, now we got low spot market rates, but we have that super high diesel fuel. So again, I can't say over and over get away from the spot market, get into contracted rates right now. And I understand people are, you know, there's, there's a lot of these smaller companies that might be based in St. Louis. Sure. And they run contracts out of St. Louis all over the U.S. Yeah. And they have to use the spot market to For get and stuff, right? maybe half their trucks back. Yes. So there will be that. And they, 
may not really care what those numbers are getting their trucks back because their bread, bread and butter is those loads coming out of maybe St. Louis. So how about this? We've been really negative. Is there anywhere that's good to run right now? What's the, what are the best markets? Uh, all right, let's go, to, let's go to the next chart here. So I'm going to start with Reefer on this one, and it's a map here. Uh, basically, I took our rejection rates and volumes and, and put them out by region. Okay. Instead of markets, there's 135 markets. But if you look there, uh, northwest there, dark blue, there's not a lot of volumes out there, but it's darker blue, better rejection rates, higher. But that's really not a great area to run. No. I look at it, and I see that Midwest sticking up there, lots yeah. of volumes. It's got a pretty little light blue to it. It's not the best, but I believe for reefer, that light blue and that little uh, light blue over there in the northeast, those are the areas you're going to make money on. I looked at lanes today, uh, uh, Harrisburg to Syracuse, like 470 a mile spot market, and 540 coming back. But that's the Northeast. People don't want to run in the Northeast. Well, people, carriers, if you want to make money, you have to run those areas that nobody wants to run, which tightens up the supply of trucks. Yeah, I know people hate it, but that's what you got to do right now. Uh, next, uh, next, uh, one more map. Yeah. Map here. This is dry van. Okay. You see that Midwest is a lot bluer. Yeah. You see the Southeast is sticking up there and a lot bluer. Nobody likes the Southeast, no, but. Who wants to go to Florida? Hey, oh, no. <laughs> okay. Let's do the Southeast minus Florida. <laughs> cut that little piece off yeah. right there. But I'd be running in between the Midwest and the Southeast if I was a dry van carrier, trying to keep, you know, depending on, you know, what your niche is and how far away you want to run. Yeah. Uh, and those are probably the best regions right now that we have for these carriers. And, but, you know, everybody's a little bit different. All these trucking companies have different niches. So you, you got to go the, you got to go and figure it out yourself a little bit. But we have tools for that as well, the market dashboard. Uh-huh. Go in the market dashboard and throw some of your lanes in there and see what the spot rates are. What do you want to run as a contract? And what are your backhauls? Look at all your contracted lanes and then throw your backhauls in the in the market dashboard and see what they paid best coming back. Yeah. Find your average and, and, and maybe try to accept more of those. You know, Donnie, thank you for this sonar rundown. We have a couple of a uh, couple more things to get to here, though. The first is, you know, here at Freightways, right behind us, we have this huge row of boxes, and they're sort of silent. But they're not really like these ones they have on Amazon. Take a look. Ah! <laughs> you, just, you get the frustration of working in the warehouse or the frustration of supply chain. You think we need one of these or will you just yell indiscriminately no matter what? I'll stick with the bar downstairs. Stick with the bar downstairs? Yeah. I've heard some bellowing out of you. Yeah. We're lucky. There's only like, I don't know. 10 to 25 people usually even in the house anyway. Never, never yeah. a line. Never, never a line. Never a line, especially for the urinal. Come work with us. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, EV breakdown. So I don't know if you've seen this, but um, Tesla, they put the semi out, right? Tesla semi. There's about 16, I think, that they've fully delivered. Five have already broken down. Um, obviously need a solution with EVs. Well, enter our friend Chase up in Canada. He is making a... Uh, EV generator motor that you put on heavy haul trucks. The purpose isn't to make zero emissions. The purpose is to use less diesel and also supercharge these trucks for logging and stuff like that. But what about when they break? Well, here's Chase's solution. Wettest Motors just bought itself a brand new service truck. We figured with we're putting these trucks out on the road and testing them and selling them, we need a way to service them out in the field. So I give you the Edison Motors service truck. It is a 1969 W900. 1969 W900. Oh, you better go. Yeah, I mean, look, he's recycling. He's keeping the environment. Truck's had 15 years. It's fired right up, and we drove her home. It's got a little five-ton high-hab crane we can use. 
It's got a huge mechanically driven air compressor we can use for sandblasting. It's got an old Miller welder on the back. It works well. We tested it out. And of course, it's got two large tool compartments. Now, this one's for your oxygen acetylene bottles and all that. The old guy <laughs> that had this definitely looked after uh, I see a bunch of it. I even said he had a tear in his eye watching we had chased drive away, but he took good like, care of it, like and you know we will too. Around a campfire. We're sitting uh, for 15 years. This truck is in amazing shape. It's been we'll get a new coat of paint on her, touch where, up a few things, and then it'll go to work full time for Edison Motors. I'm still not fully convinced Edison Motors isn't just like a meme. Like <laughs> they're taking uh, a Tesla and everything, and a, and a broken down truck being a repair truck. Hey, look, EV's coming. We yeah. all know that. There's 16 trucks out there, and people are picking on five of them breaking down. Yeah. It's a start. It's a start. you got to start somewhere. you got to start somewhere. That's what people said about these UPS. I put out the video of the UPS, and they're delivering between, like, their Compton and Fremont warehouses. It's a, like, 30-mile loop. But, like, well, you can't go long haul. And it's like, that's not the point. The point it's is to proof of concept. You, like, you small carriers, you don't have to worry about the EVs right now. Let the big guys be the beta testers. They're going to set up these networks. They're going to set up the short mile. Let them worry about it. It's not something you need to worry about. Now, i got a question. What's your favorite Easter candy? Ooh, uh, probably the chocolate bunnies. Chocolate bunnies? Yeah. What do you think about Cadbury eggs? Uh, I'm not. I don't like the cream in the middle of those. I'm, no, I don't either. I, 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 you know, I'll take the chocolate bunnies. I'll take the bunnies with it's the, like a piece of chocolate got excited in your mouth the, or something. The Reese cups with the peanut butter in the yeah. middle. I might do a little bit of that, but uh, no, the, uh, uh, the 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 chocolate covered cherries. Oh, what's the chocolates that you you. You get the packages oh, up. the liquor you, in them? But you have no... Oh, there's those two. There's those two? No, but the ones that you have no idea what's in the middle. Well, you, you might buy <laughs> oh, it. Oh, like the Harry Potter jelly beans? Yeah, but you, you might buy one and it'd be awful or bite into one that's awful. The next one might be great. Well, would I shock you if I told you that there is a Easter candy crime ring out there and they stole $200,000 worth of Cadbury eggs. The Guardian reports a chocolate thief is facing jail after admitting he stole almost 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs and a heist worth 31,000 pounds. What is a pound worth these days, anyway? Like a dollar? Uh, it's, it's, it's peeled it, off, hasn't it? Uh, well, no, but a, a, a dollar, a U.S. dollar, I think is a little bit higher, just a little bit higher than a pound. Well, this guy, Joby Poole, he's 32. He's been dubbed the Easter Bunny by police. He used a, This has happened in England, so he didn't steal a truck. He stole a lorry cab to make off of the chocolate. After breaking into a Telford industrial unit with a metal grinder on Saturday, he's expected to be jailed for two years. Next month, two years for stealing this. He said he's a self-employed uh, ground worker. He's stolen freight before. And the police say this is clearly an organized criminal matter. You don't just happen to learn about yeah. a trailer with that kind of value being available. Look at, and we, we need to get more of this info out, but look at how many Cadbury eggs can you fit on a tractor trailer and think about how much they cost. And that, that turns into a lot of money once it's a stolen product. You can't and sell them on the shelf at your liquor store during nope, Easter. No, but if, if, I were to, kid come in. if I were an underground and I got 10% of the money for it, yeah. the, I, I'd still get, you know, how many packs of cigarettes can you get on a tractor trailer? How many? I don't know, but I know they're, they're, they're multi-million dollar loads. Yeah. And if I steal a seven, fellas, right? That's yeah. they've been the mafia's been yes. stealing cigarettes since so day one. If you steal a seven million, and they're like seven million dollars on that trailer. So if I get ten percent of that, selling it on the after the black market, I get seven hundred grand for for going and stealing a truck. People don't realize a little bit of nothing on this tractor trailer it, it turns into a turns value. into a lot. Well, we got a tractor trailer full of content, Donnie, and no one's stealing that. Coming up tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday at Global Supply Chain Week on what the truck we got. Chris Top and Furnish. Sean Jones from Quick Loads is going to do an automated trailer demo. Dustin Keel from Wabi Talks Autonomous Vehicles. Plus, we got amazing keynotes and tons of prizes you can win. Go to live.freightwaves.com to register. Subscribe to the show where you get podcasts by my Twitter activity tuner and don't be a stranger.